This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. You know, one of the fun things in broadcasting that you can, you can do sometimes is test out new equipment. Sometimes you come up with an idea, and you think, hey, man, that'd be great if we could do this. And then IT does what they can to try to make it happen. Or you decide that you're going to make a change and you have to test things out. Hmm. You know, sometimes you don't even know why, you know, whether it's microphones or headsets. What thing drives you crazy to test out when asked from you? Probably lighting. Because lighting makes such a difference on mm-hmm. how I... Function. Function, yeah, yeah I guess so. Yeah. Like how I sit through and when you're talking about a two-hour time period of a show... um, Lighting, you know how we we make a big deal out of lighting all the time, Kels. Yep. Are we in the dark today? Check mark, check mark. You know that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, microphones, cameras, that stuff doesn't bother me as much. Headsets, headsets. Yeah, that can be a that can be one to get used to as well. I think because we rely obviously on our communications doing the show, we rely on hearing ourselves, our guests, whatever, but also our screen readers. So yep. definitely you want it right. You need your levels perfect for that kind of stuff. I never really thought of the lights, really, even though I've done enough TV work that, oh my gosh, I don't like that light, especially if I have to move or do something and the light's bothering me. Mm-hmm. Um, I need enough practice runs to do stuff to go from point A to point B. But sometimes just sitting there. I've been at shoots and I'm sitting there and that, oh, that light's in the corner of my eye. Does And it painfully hurts. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. You don't even necessarily know how it's going to affect you till you're already in it. Um, maybe the brightness, maybe the angle, maybe a, a reflection or just something. It's it's very, very individual. When you were in school, because, we, again, it's not so... People don't understand there at all how to, you know, what things would bother that low vision or blind person. Mm -hmm. It's a totally different game with all the things you kind of, hey, that works, but could we do this? Why? Yeah. You know, where other people, everyone, 99.9% of the class is doing it this way. Why that? It, sure. It's so hard because of that concept. <laughs> oh, you have trouble seeing. Okay, so you need glasses or, oh, you aren't you totally blind? Oh, you can't even see this light. Absolutely. <laughs> I totally remember um, <laughs> one of my classes, I think it was biology, where we had to take notes while watching a movie. And I was the only person in the class. I'm like, can we keep the lights on? <laughs> and the sleepers in the class are no i i won't get my 20 z's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway folks hopefully you won't uh, fall asleep listening to the show today here's the lineup for you what we've got to kick it off with we talk meatless monday options with nutritionist julia Carantis shortly Back to school is long known to be an especially stressful time of transition for teenagers. And one of these national charities is making the transition a little bit easier, or at least as seamless as possible. We're going to learn more about it. A quick and fun way to add to your fall look is a berry lip. Makeup artist Bella Strange joins us shortly and shares how. That'll be in hour two right here on Kelly and Company. So, suggestion to you... 
Don't put away your summer clothing yet. Now, I know I'm kind of letting the cat out of the bag before Jeff Ryman gets a chance to bring someone on from the Weather Network. They say (laughs) over there that there's still some warm days ahead. The network says in its fall forecast that much of Canada can expect warmer than normal temperatures this month before they start to drop in October. Chris Scott, chief meteorologist at the Weather Network, says September still has some downright hot days to come. Western Yukon is the only part of the country that's expected to be a little bit chillier than normal over the coming weeks. Scott says the amount of precipitation this fall will vary across the country, though most parts will see fewer storms than usual. Allison Jones, the Canadian Press. So as a sports fan, and when I, you know, years ago, I always love a good football game in the rain or in the snow and, and you know, just watching because they'll play it then and it's great watching them slide around. If the fog gets too bad, people are disappearing into the fog and the announcers are sharing that. What I always hated, Rum, was a cold, windy Halloween Sometimes mm. you'd even get snow, especially in this part of Canada, in London, where we're the snow belt, you get a, a, a good night of cold and winds off the lake. Boom, all of a sudden you've got snow and you're going out trick-or-treating in your boots and, 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 yeah. your, and whatever costume you've got. I recall one year that kind of thing happening, but then I've also remember... Uh, it's going to be hot wearing this costume as a kid because it would be so warm. Mm-hmm. The Halloween uh, drama is real. Cause it's yeah. true. It's true. Even as maybe not as adults going trick-or-treating, but you're maybe going to a party or something. But anyway, when it comes to costumes on Halloween, there's always a lot of fingers keeping fingers crossed because it can't be too warm. It can't be too cold. It's got to be just right. But I'm thinking, though, for people who are like, oh, I didn't get to wear this fit this summer outfit yet or this dress or you're going through your purging and your changing of closets for the fall winter and you're thinking oh man i didn't get to this summer outfit <laughs> this is good this is good news for us you know what i didn't realize and uh, probably should save this to october to chat about not to get into it lengthy and bring up halloween and rush the fall along but yeah. It's interesting, when I was a kid, I never realized how early we were going out. It always seemed to be, oh, it's Halloween, get to stay out later. <laughs> when really, because it gets dark at 5, 15, 5, 30, five, yeah. I'm sitting there acting like it's 8 o'clock at night, and yet when we'd be done around 6, 30, 6, 4, I'm tired, I want to go That's get true. some rest. <laughs> a former security chief at Twitter has testified before U.S. Con- uh, Congress that the social media platform is plagued by weak cyber defenses that make it uh, very vulnerable to exploitation by teenagers, thieves, and spies. Interesting bunch of people. Teenagers, thieves, spies. Okay. And put the privacy of its users at risk. Peter Muchzatko, a respected cybersecurity expert, says the company's executives dismissed key security problems. Twitter leadership ignored ignored its engineers because key parts of leadership lacked the competency to understand the scope of the problem, but more importantly, their executive incentives led them to prioritize profits over security. Zadko was the head of security for the influential platform until he was fired earlier this year. I, I, I think 
Twitter lands somewhere in this area of, well, what security do we have to worry about? People are generally reading it. It's not, it's different than Facebook mm. and some of the other social media platforms. What, what do people care? Who would want to hack it? Why would you want to do that? But we also know any route to anyone's computer is fair game for these people. Yeah, good point, Kels. I mean, when you're thinking of posting and scrolling and the general things we do on Twitter, yeah, you're absolutely right. But then there are ways where Twitter acts a little bit like Instagram, a little bit like Facebook, where people are sharing brands and they're sharing links for you to go check out other things. And you're maybe buying, you're maybe purchasing. Maybe these are in-app related things that you're doing that do... And things that live on your machine, for example. Yeah, your machine or require your credit cards and debit cards or you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I do think that security is a big concern for any social media. And I do totally believe that it's not Mm. something they have really thought enough about thinking who would. Well, they are. Coming up next on the program, companies are raising bugs for food, including food for our pets. Dr. Danielle Johnkind has the scoop on insect protein in food next on Kelly and Company. Well, if you're a fan of Facebook, check out Accessible Media Inc.'s Facebook page. All sorts of stuff over there that you might be interested in conversation. And, of course, put out some clips of different stuff. A lot to enjoy over there. That's the Accessible Media Inc. Facebook page. Like it if you would. If you want to reach out and speak to anybody at AMI-audio on Twitter, at AMI-audio, that's the handle, at AMI-audio, you can follow along and see what's coming up on our show. Of course, interact and ask questions and get into conversations about all the other wonderful programming right here on AMI-audio. That's at AMI-audio, that's the handle. If you want to call in, leave a message, we'll see if we can play it on air, 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545. Mention it's for Kelly and company, if you would, please. And if you also don't mind us playing it on air, let us know that. Just give us permission, and we'll see if we can use your message. Ramya Muthan, she's at AMI head office over there on main campus. I'm Kelly McDonald, right here in London, Ontario at the home studio. The question to consider as we get into our next segment is, how do you feel about bugs? Let's bring on Dr. Danielle Jeankind for Ask a Vet. The human-animal bond plays such an important role in people's lives, and as a veterinarian, it's my privilege to help keep those bonds strong and healthy. I'm Dr. Danielle Jeankind, and welcome to Ask a Veterinarian. So for some of us, bugs fascinate us, and for others, it sends us running because of the ick factor um but here in canada (laughs) a lot of people certainly are not big into the idea of eating bugs yeah i forgot to tell you guys that's what we need to consider but now there are companies raising bugs for food particularly for pet food and we want to talk about this how common are pet food with insect proteins are they nutritionally complete what kind of insects go into them dr danielle Jeankind would be the person who deep dives into this and looks into all the questions for us and brings us the scoop so thank you danielle because the rest of us are not going as far as you have with bringing us the information <laughs> it takes a special kind of weird to look at bugs and pet food let yeah. me tell you and we're not thinking of you know if a bee stings you don't get mad and try to bite it yeah, no. no. <laughs> so what's the point of putting insects into pet food? 
Well, you know, the idea of using insects as an ingredient for pet food, of course, is to replace more traditional ingredients like meat protein in the food with insect protein instead. So um, it takes less land, less water, and less resources to raise insects for protein than it does to raise animals like cows or chickens. Um, so in fact, you know, some species of insects can actually be raised on food waste, which would otherwise just be left to compost or rot in a landfill. So all of this potentially translates into, you know, some big uh, benefits for the environment and, you know, um, that sort of thing. So there, there's one kind of caveat to that, though. Um, I'm not sure exactly how insect protein is going to directly translate into environmental benefits if it's used solely to produce protein for pet food. So currently a lot of animal protein that ends up in pet food comes from the parts of food animals that the human food chain does not sell for human consumption. So basically the pet food industry is kind of recycling these unused animal parts from the production of meat for human consumption. So really, you know, unless you can get people to stop eating meat, the resources used for meat production and the environmental drawbacks of raising meat are still going to be in play. Um, but also, you know, if the animal parts not eaten by people weren't used in pet food, they mm -hmm. would only be wasted, you know, or they could possibly be used in other applications like bone meal is used in gardening, for example. Right. So, you know, to my way of thinking, you know, with the current situation being what it is, um, that, you know, it takes a bit of the sustainability argument out of feeding insect-based pet food, because unless you're replacing it, replacing meat with that protein, it's not really going to make that much of a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or as you say, using it somewhere else, if that was uh, instead of waste. Um Besides the sustainability argument out there, would there be other advantages to have, uh, you know, insect-based uh, proteins in food? Well, you know, as, as far as protein sources for your pet goes, the, the source is less important than what it breaks down into during digestion. So, mm -hmm. you know, proteins are constructed out of a chain of components called amino acids. And if we were going to use a simplistic analogy to explain it, you know, proteins kind of resemble a string of different colored pearls on a molecular level. So when your pet eats them, the digestive process cuts the pearls off the string and each pearl is absorbed into the body and then taken to a cell. And your pet cells make new proteins by assembling the pearls into a string with the right order to make the protein they want. So a pet's body can make some of these pearls itself, but, you know, others really need to come from its food. Um, but whether the pearls come from a string originally made by a cow, a chicken, or an insect is kind of irrelevant as mm -hmm. long as your pet gets all the pearls it needs to make its own proteins. So, you know, when they do, that's what we call a nutritionally complete diet. Um, an organization called AFCO publishes what those uh, requirements are for nutritionally complete diets. And so long as a diet made with insect proteins can be digested and provide the right pearls, it should be fine. Um, having said all of that, you know, there may be some advantages to an insect-based diet for, for pets who are allergic to specific proteins. Um, Insect-based pet diets are certainly not mainstream yet, so it's unlikely most pets have encountered them as a protein source. Uh, also, for people who like the idea of natural ingredients, insect protein might look pretty attractive. I mean, wild car carnivores eat insects, and I can't imagine them turning up their noses at eating a dead <laughs> animal carcass that has fly maggots in it. Right? No, no, no. no. A little and flavoring. I even, 
no, no, for sure. Extra protein. Um, I even know domestic carnivores like my cat, for example, will hunt and eat things like houseflies and yeah. grasshoppers. And so, you know, I can't really think of any disadvantages to feeding a diet made with insect protein, um, so long as the insects aren't dangerous to the environment if they escape from their farm. Well, they're definitely not as fresh as the house flies, but I totally get what you're saying. <laughs> um, but they can be, really. You should hear Glizzy chomp down on house flies. It's like serious motivation out there. Okay, so besides the protein, because we focus a lot on the protein when it comes to, you know, insects or any of these kind of conversations, but other nutrients, are they present in uh, insect pet food? Well, you know, I visited the websites for two different Canadian insect farming operations, and depending on the species of insects they were raising, um, they made claims that, you know, fly larvae were high in calcium and a medium chain fatty acid called lauric acid, and crickets were touted as a good source of calcium and iron and vitamin B12, as well as having a better ratio of omega-6 fatty acids to omega-3s um, when you compared them to beef. I wasn't able to find specific information on these claims by doing a scientific literature search. So I don't know how much of that is real and how much is advertising, but I did find a study published in July of 2021, and it looked at the nutrient profile and digestibility of insect-based pet food. And those researchers found it to be as good as animal-based protein. I know here in London, since the cricket processing plant has opened. <laughs> there was a lot online, social media, a lot of uh, what, what they were also trying to tell people, guys, you're hearing a lot of things that aren't true. Please, if you have questions, direct them to us or do at least proper research instead mm -hmm. of listening to people who just, oh, it's disgusting, eating crickets. Now, that seems to be the, the what they process here, as I mentioned. So I'm curious, what kind of insects are they putting into pet food? Well, I was able to find farms in Canada that raise uh, crickets and others that raise black soldier fly larvae for use in pet food. And, you know, the black soldier flies are really neat because they actually feed them human food waste. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Specifically human? like. No, wow. no, 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 food waste. Like all the mismatched carrots like, that don't go to the grocery store because they're ugly. Or yeah. You scared us for yeah. a moment there. Is it, uh, that's an interesting diet. Thanks for doing the song no, no, and asking not, the clarifying question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, what kind of, I know. What kind of products? This is actually pretty interesting, though, the, the farming side of it. But what kind of products are the insects, uh, insect farms producing? Well, from what, I, <laughs> from what I can tell from their websites, um, the products used in pet food are usually protein powder, and that's made from drying the insects and grinding them into an almost flour-like powder. Mm -hmm. um, the black soldier fly larvae also have a, cons a significant fat component to them, and that can be used to make an oil product with a consistency similar to butter. Uh, some businesses do sell whole dried larvae to feed chickens and salmon, but as far as I could tell, nobody seems to be putting those in pet food. Mm. Mm. Um, our insect pests... Let's try that again. Our insect-based <laughs> pet foods actually currently relatively available? I have not yet seen them marketed to vets through the usual channels by which we get pet food. Right. Um, I also looked up the websites of three major pet store chains and couldn't find any insect-based pet foods for sale. 
I did find a few companies that were starting to manufacture them, but their products have to be ordered directly from them, as far as I can tell. Um, most of the companies currently making them seem to be either um, in Europe or the U.S. at this time, though, you know, I did find a few here and there in Canada. Mm-hmm. And insect protein powder and dried crickets are also available for human consumption. Mm -hmm. So we take it back to you, Danielle. Have you tried any of this personally? <laughs> actually, I have. Um, when I was a kid. You sound nervous. No, I no, actually. I can say I'm not nervous because I have tried them. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> So when I was a kid, a relative actually gave me a lollipop, which was like a hard candy on a stick that had a dead whole dried cricket inside it. Oh. I remember it was called a cricket lick it. And I remember I ate the candy part, but I wasn't brave enough to eat the actual bug in the middle. Fast forward a few decades, you know, and I won't say how many because that wouldn't be polite. <laughs> but I'm standing in the cash outline at a store with my kids. And you know those cash outlines where they have, they funnel all the customers past a bank of shelving that holds impulse buys, yep. you know, like yes. chips and chocolates yep. and gum. So my kids and I are standing in this line and we spy a bag of cricket chips. So intrigued, we bought them to try them. And they were basically made with that dried cricket protein powder, which was baked into these crunchy chip-like snacks and dusted with seasonings. Mm -hmm. And we weren't squeamish about eating them at all. And all of us thought they were great. And we're really disappointed that we couldn't get them again. They didn't oh. become regularly available after that. But I got to say, I would totally buy another bag of cricket chips again if I saw them. Plot twist. Okay. <laughs> From the cricket lick it. That's pretty awesome. I mean, see, when you talk about the, the powder, not to make this about us, it was about the pets from the beginning, but really, if it was a powder, I feel like I'd be totally down to Like in a try. shake. Yeah. Your protein shake. If it was cricket powder, you heard yeah, about it. Yeah, or even not, the chips, you know, savory instead of sweet, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. <laughs> or cricket mm. instead of fly. Or <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think the the presentation makes all the difference. Like I said, I would not have eaten the cricket in the middle of that lollipop. Mm. There's no way. But you know, the powder baked into chips, not even a thought that I couldn't do it. Right. It really is interesting what we think, um, including would we be comfortable to feed these things knowing it's there yeah. to our pet, right? It, like you said, Danielle. So many of the things that are made into the pet food are from parts of the animal, you know, we wouldn't eat, we wouldn't, you know, consume, they would get ground down and whatever. Uh, that's okay. But to say, well, okay, we've got cricket. Uh, hold on. You, you expect, you know, I, I get mad when my, you know, cat goes after something like a cricket or a fly. <laughs> <laughs> and be. that's the thing my my cat certainly catches her own you know flies and bugs and grasshoppers and everything you know mm -hmm. and and even though i go oh 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 what an awful way to die when she catches them you yeah. know i i think you know it doesn't bother her at all i'm like huh, no. look at that <laughs> no exactly they're already into the cuisine you know they've got their tastes prepped to go Danielle, this is awesome. Thank you so much. Very, very informative. And next week, we're going to uh, have a bit of a throwback and revisit a conversation from five years ago. Guinea pigs. Guinea pigs. I know. I'm excited about that one. Thank you. We'll talk to you then. Okay. Bye, guys. Dr. Danielle Jonkine joining us for Ask a Veterinarian every Tuesday. I'm still thinking how fussy pets can be sometimes about food. Can you imagine that? Not nope. about the flies, though. Nope. Don't want those crickets. They're the London, Ontario crickets. I want the ones from uh, Minnesota. That's right. Uh. Coming up next, folks, we talk meatless Monday options with nutritionist Julia Carantis.
Boy, I don't think there's meatless crickets. Maybe. Welcome back to the program. We're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. If you want to catch a repeat of the show here on AMI-audio, 10 p.m. Eastern and 6 a.m. in the morning of the times to do so Eastern. And, uh, you know, Ramya, I, I go back to our chat with Danielle, and I hear a lot of that conversation about will we down the road be a, a society of eating insects in some mm-hmm. form. Um, when she mentioned about the licket cricket and then, you know, going (laughs) fast forwarding years later, eating the chips and say, you know what, I'll go back and try those and them not being there. Can you just imagine how that was just people saying to management, what are you doing? Or the the, sitting there because people just or limited supply because they never knew how many people would take it. No, but totally down the line, like we're already heading there. We're having conversations not only about our own food being insect protein based, but pet food. Well, I think you if know. people buy into pet food, that it may oh, not be that far, right? That? Because, okay, yeah. like I said, the protection of would, would someone be comfortable feeding their pet? So, mm-hmm. interesting conversation. We've got another one ahead for you here on the program. Every other Tuesday, we're joined by nutritionist Julia Karanchis. Let's bring her in. I love the world of nutrition. Join me, Julia Karanchis, as we talk about everything from food and nutrition to living a vibrant lifestyle. After talking about the digestion of crickets, people may just want a foodless Tuesday here on the program, so we might want to think about that. But Julia's here to talk to us about meatless Monday meals. Julia, welcome back. Thanks, guys. I had to chuckle at that because I was just talking to some colleagues in the nutrition business and we're all saying that the next big thing is cricket protein powder mm. Yep, mm-hmm. that it's it's coming julie i think we've heard about it for years yes. it's just yes. us getting our heads around it. and then when people go on tours to different countries where this is already going on they, yes. they all talk about it talk about you know what i went to one of those uh farmers markets where they have insects really yes. so the curiosity is there it is there, yes, and it's not. Uh, it's it's hard to find, but it's not impossible because it is happening now. Yeah, you know, and yeah. it might we might see it way more mainstream. Well, but as you I think brought it's up coming. to yeah. us too, the exploration of what's in the sea, you know, not, yeah. of, of veg- vegetables and things that we should also think about harvesting. That there is such a plethora of there. Instead of depleting so much what we do here, and could we do it without harming the sea and the environment and the and the sea creatures? And there's so much under there. We're talking so so those discussions are there. So maybe insects and stuff from plants from the sea are the way we're going. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it would be it would be great to you know have these new discoveries and more of nutrients that maybe we're not getting enough of right now. I mean, we know how nutritious kelp and and dulse like though you know those seaweeds are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure there's lots more treats hiding so, for us. I would think things we don't know and nutrition, you know, values that we have no idea of. Um, let's clarify when you say meatless, as people may be thinking it might mean going totally vegan, which would be probably a, a great, right. great huge change for some out there, uh, as in no actual meat. Yeah. So back to our topic today, we've we've actually done a segment 
before on Meatless Mondays, but mm -hmm. it was lots of years ago. And I wanted to revisit, but this time focus more on meal ideas for Meatless Mondays. Uh, by the way, it does not have to be Monday. It just sounds, the, the alliteration <laughs> sounds thing. nice when you mm -hmm. say it, but certainly can, you know, you can have Animal Free Friday, like it can be whatever you like. But, um, you know, we've talked about the reasons why it's important to do, but I think that it's a challenge for people who are not used to it because sometimes, you know, meets the star of the show. So that's what I wanted to talk about today. So yeah, when I say meatless, what does that mean? Because it can be overwhelming. So if this is something that is totally new for you, then it's good to understand that meatless just means no actual meat, which is more of a vegetarian way of eating, meaning that you could still put milk or cream in your coffee, butter or cream cheese on your bagel or have eggs, yogurt, etc. So, right. you know, for breakfast, you could have a bowl of yogurt with granola and berries and lunch could be a salad with chickpeas or an egg salad sandwich with an apple and trail mix, hmm. right? So this is nothing that is, you know, out there or challenging even to, to make yourself or even to find. So there's lots of options. So, um, yeah, I think that's a good clarification that if, if, you know, if you want to do a vegan day, that's great. If vegetarian is more comfortable at that moment, then it's great to understand that, you know, you can still put that cream in your coffee right. and, and right. you're not making those, you know, too, too overwhelming of a change for yourself. Cause that can be, you know, that can just set somebody up for failure. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, you've mentioned breakfast and kind of lunch ideas so far. I think dinner is the big one, um, at least in my yeah. house, because it's the it's either the one that you're you're looking forward to is like the big meal of the day or it's the one that you forgot to plan for. So now you're just grabbing whatever's in there. <laughs> so for and, all and I think you're reasons, mentally into dinner has to have meat. Dinner's a big one. It's a social one, too. Like when right. you said Animal Free Friday, I was like, oh. Fridays are, you know, big social days for people um, yes. when you're eating dinners together. So I, 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 it's good because we can take it on as a challenge and it is a challenge for people and people think of meat, then plan the meal around that for dinner as well. Agreed. I, you know, lunch can be very easy, pick and go. But when you say, you know, for, for households that do consume animal products, what do you want for dinner? A lot of times people will say chicken, mm -hmm. steak. Mm -hmm. Right. And knowing, assuming that you're going to have something no on the side, whether it's, yeah. yeah, right. No, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No one's saying I'm going to have a bean, even Let's fish, just have some beans for yeah. people who do Friday and have fish. No, no other, other meats, but fish for some, I remember uh, being in circumstances as a kid and hearing that from my friends that had to do that. Think, Oh my gosh, no meat, no meat. Right. Cause I didn't think yeah. of fish the same way it was. Oh, I won't be able to have any chicken beef or whatever, whether my family did that day or not. No, so we're Greek, so we grew up on Fridays eating fish and chips because you don't eat meat on Friday, right. <laughs> right. but we ate fish. Right. It's 100%. It's very different. So I think what is very helpful here is to understand where else we get protein from, mm -hmm. which will help drive our focus away from the animal products. So some great examples of non-animal-based protein would be tofu, tempeh, beans, slash legumes, um, if you're familiar with that term, and whole grains such as quinoa, wild rice, and farro. And that list of whole grains can get quite extensive. Millet, 
amaranth. I mean, it can go on and on and on. Um, wild rice and quinoa, I believe, are the easiest to source out in most, you know, in your local grocery store. Mm -hmm. But there's certainly not a shortage of a variety of whole grains. And then combining these sources is not only delicious, but also helps to ensure a great dose of amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein. Right. We were just so, talking about that with Daniel yeah. Johnkind, which is really great. I, I appreciate that you said combining as well, because it's hard for me to um, think of quinoa as a protein source because I akin it so quickly to rice. Right, which right, is just right. a lot of complex carbs. Well, hopefully complex, but you know what I mean? So yes. it's nice that you're combining maybe the beans and the quinoa together. Yes. Now you got protein. Exactly. So that's really important is combining those vegan sources together to get the complete protein. And by a complete protein, we mean um, a source of food that gives you all eight essential amino acids. Mm -hmm. And these amino acids are really the point of eating the protein. That's why you want protein. That's why it's so important because it gives you those amino acids, which are the building blocks of the body. So that that's helpful to know. So, so go, coming back to what can we eat and what, what does it look like to combine these foods and to form an actual meal that makes sense is you could, if you eat tofu, you could do a tofu stir fry on a bed of wild rice. And then you would just, you know, any veggies you want. If you wanted to do a pre-made sauce, you could, or you could just add a little bit of soy sauce yourself. Um, a bowl of quinoa mixed with black beans topped with tomatoes, red onion, and avocado is delicious. You can add some cheddar cheese if you are a dairy eater. And then there are also great meatless stew recipes that use chickpeas instead of beef. Yum. So, yeah, and I'm a big fan of these because I am a big stew and soup person. These are my favorite foods to eat, which is why I love fall and the mm -hmm. colder months. Um, so actually last night I made a vegan stew with potato and white kidney beans, spinach and onion. And then it was in a base of tomato and veggie broth. So it was really hot, savory, and then super nutritious. I had the spinach. I had a lot of garlic in there. I always doubled the garlic in recipes. <laughs> um, <laughs> potato, kidney beans. I had did uh, like the tomato and the veggie broth. So there was a lot of stuff going on and it was, it was vegan. Um, I mean, I could have added some sort of cheese on top if I really wanted, but it's not what the recipe called for. And I am not a great cook, so I always stick to the recipe, <laughs> but it was delicious. And, you know, having you say that as a person who enjoys, you know, that, that meal, that, that stew with, with beef to say, no, it's the meatless time. I'm going to enjoy that just yeah. as much. And that's what I think, as we've talked about on this program, we really all need to think about it. Not like I said about the fish. Oh my goodness. There's not going to be yeah. actual meat today. We, we need. I, like for me, I've yeah. always had to remind myself, hit the brakes, buddy. Don't panic. You know, you're not yeah. being deprived of, of air for a day. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I do. I have a freezer full of uh, stewing beef from the butcher. I work with a local butcher and it's great, but I don't need to do it every single day. No. And I also understand the benefits um, on the planet of consuming less meat. So I think it's really great to be mindful of that. And then oh. it also forces me to try new things that maybe yeah. I wouldn't have cooked and, before. And add to the repertoire. It's nice to go to a buffet, yes. but what you're, you're generally only eating a few different things. But if you have that repertoire open, you're going to be open to, hey, I can have this stew and somebody could say to you, the only difference is it doesn't have the meat. Yeah, but I'm going to have a bowl of it and then have a bowl with the meat. Um, yeah. What are some of the perks of having that meatless meal that would keep you know people motivated to have a day where meat wasn't involved? 
So for me, it's the prep time and the cooking time. And Ramya, you just mm. touched on this too with the, oh gosh, what am I having? And yeah. thinking about having dinner last minute because sometimes you have to plan if you have meat in the freezer that needs to come out and thaw or meat is not something that sits in your fridge and keeps for very long. So you you have to buy it knowing that you're going to consume it at some point. Otherwise, you have to make time to go and get it at the time that you've realized you want to make it. Mm -hmm. So with rice and beans, those things are dried or they're canned and therefore they have very great shelf life. So the food is easier to have on hand in your pantry. And also the vegetables that are in a lot of stews like potatoes, carrots, and celery, those keep in your fridge for quite a while. So I find that it's less prep time and less cooking time. So it's much faster to open that can of beans than it is to thaw frozen meat and cook it. And even if that meat is already thawed, you still have to cook it. And usually it takes more time than it would to boil quinoa, which takes 15 minutes, right? right. And it's way, way less cleanup. And then if you think about something like beef stew, you have to simmer that for over an hour to get that meat tender, to get that stewing beef tender. But the stew that I made last night, the, the longest thing that needed to cook in that was the potato. So it was less than 30 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's Right, because really I'm just amazing. waiting for that potato to soften because the beans are cooked. They're just warming in the broth. And, you know, you saute the onions, you get them soft, and then the potato needs to simmer in the broth for 15 to 20 minutes, less if you cut it really tiny. And it's so it's fast and very minimal cleanup. So I do find it way more convenient to cook without using meat. It's faster and it's way easier to clean up. And that makes it motivating for me to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, I always found veggie uh, based meals very enjoyable because my mom's a vegetarian. So we grew up with mm -hmm. it. It was really just the norm. And like you said, you know, she would have four or five different things prepped in in the time it would take to cook one meat <laughs> dish just yes. because of timing. Yep. And it's a diverse like a very diverse meal where we're having a little bit of a lot of different kinds of um, vegetables, legumes and things like that. Yeah. But I, I really enjoyed it. Like this is not um anything new to me. And I thoroughly enjoy trying vegetarian options out and vegan options out when we go to eat. But what's normal in your house might be different, right? Absolutely. Right. And I also find it less stressful to cook vegetarian or vegan meals because there's never a chance that I'm going to undercook chicken and like make everybody sick. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful, Julia. Thank you kindly. Beautiful stuff. Uh, we'll join uh, Julia Karanchis, please, here on the program. Every couple of weeks, we do that opposite our wellness segment with Francis Wong. Coming up next, back to school is known to be a really stressful time of transition for teens. One national charity is helping make that transition period as seamless as possible. We learn more in two minutes here on Kelly and Company. Do me a favor when you have some time, subscribe to the Kelly and Company podcast if you would. You can find it using your favorite podcast platform. Just do a search, AMI-audio, Kelly and Company, Accessible Media Inc., and whichever way is easier for you, you will come up with a bunch of podcasts. Subscribe to them all. Have some fun with that. 
Uh, but for sure, take a listen to our show when you have a time. You can listen to the show as a, a complete program, the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience. And we recommend that you can listen to the audio vanity card we toss on the end or simply subscribe and listen to the show in segment form. While you're in there, maybe give us a rating and review. Whatever way, please enjoy the uh, podcast and uh, tell your friends. Send it to people. See if we can get a bunch of people listening in, enjoying the content, and giving us feedback. That's the Kelly and Company podcast, available to you using your favorite podcatcher. I'm Kelly McDonald, host of the program with my co-host, Ramya Muthan. We've been talking a lot of back to school, all different angles being covered here on the show from our contributors and guests. And that's because it's an it's an interesting time, definitely a transitional time. And back to school is long known to be an especially stressful time for teenagers. So one national charity is helping make this transition period as seamless as possible. And we're going to learn more about this with Anne Lovegrove, who's the president and executive director of Strong Mind, Strong Kids, Psychology Canada. And thank you for coming on, Kelly and Company. How are you? Good. How are you? And thank you again for inviting me. Oh, we're really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, and before we get into the specific, can you give us some background on Strong Minds, Strong Kids uh, in Psychology Canada? Sure. So Strong Minds, Strong Kids, Psychology Canada has been around for almost 50 years now. And what we do is we use psychological science to benefit Canadians' mental health, specifically youth. Our goal is to nurture resilience in children and youth so they have a strong foundation of mental health before problems or issues begin. I always like kidding with our psychologists who support us that my goal is to get them out of a job so no youth will have to actually seek an intervention. Mm. Yeah, this is really important work, uh, especially the age range of young younger people that you're talking about, I think is um, specific and good reason as to why. So let's talk about some of these things that are going on the initiatives. You've come up with the new Zen Garden app and resiliency quiz. Can you explain what this is? Sure. Yes, we're super excited about launching these two new tools. So the Zen Garden app is an app that helps kids, um, specifically youth, to identify and manage their stress. And the resilience quiz is an interactive online quiz that gives youth the opportunity to learn a little bit more about how resilient they are and strategies to basically build and nurture their resilience moving forward. Okay, so can we um, split it up and talk about each one? What went into creating uh, either both of them together or the Zencart Garden app? We can start with that one. Sure. So lots went into creating the programs, much like all of the programs that we develop. So the the Zen Garden app is actually based on uh, a proven program that we have been implementing in schools called Stress Lessons. And basically, Stress Lessons is where teachers um, teach their students about stress and the coping strategies that go along with managing your stress. So that was a program that we had developed that we delivered in the schools. And we felt it was really important that youth be able to get access to this type of information outside of the classroom. So that's really the the reason why we developed the Zen Garden app. So we um, partnered with an organization called Mind Your Mind, and they have the expertise in developing online gaming, interactive um, 
modules um, that support mental health. So they help, uh, helped us bring stress lessons to life in the form of the Zen Garden app. We also enlisted an advisory committee of youth um, from youth all across Canada, and they really helped guide us throughout the process and, mm. and gave us some ideas. Um, their idea was actually to, to have this uh, be a garden and be called the Zen Garden, so really helped us along the way. And then lastly, we had our child psychologist um, part of the process and basically oversaw all of the steps in the development of this. I really appreciate that you got feedback from the youth um, who were directly involved because it, you know, it's an obvious answer. It, you hear directly from the people who are going to be utilizing the resources. How about the resilience quiz? So the, the resilience quiz, um, kind of a similar approach. We worked um, with um, one of our child psychologists, um, Dr. Diana Brecher, and she um, had a, an existing program that we basically took a lot of this information from. And we wanted to do something interactive to give youth the opportunity to understand a little bit more about resilience and um, specifically giving them some sense as to where they were at. So Diana worked with our team to build this uh, 12 question, this 12, um, it was 12 questions. Um, and we tested it with youth and yeah, it was, um, it, it was, it was great. It was received really well. Mm -hmm. I think that people, uh, when they're facing, you know, some difficult challenges or stages and transitions in life, back to school being one of them, um, taking a quiz like that and really understanding what's going on with you, you know, tapping into your yourself is pretty huge. Is that one of the reasons um, behind the quiz? Absolutely. So really sort of understanding your strengths um, um, was where we wanted to start with youth to get to have them feel comfortable with what they're already doing and the coping skills that they already have. And then providing them with some other tools and tactics and strategies based on a lot of theories, based on a lot of proven success um, for them to perhaps maybe try in the future to build that resilience. Right. Well, I'm curious if there's anything else before we move on to social media, uh, the importance of these kind of resources, again, going back to the mission of the, the organization uh, and this particular age group. Yeah, so it's, you know what, life is, is, is wonderful, but it's also challenging. And if, you know, the last two years have certainly been challenging for all of us. Um, sometimes there's things that we can't necessarily um, control, and we need to deal with those ups and downs of mm -hmm. life. And so having tools like the Zen Garden app and the Resilience Quiz helps children and youth build those key coping skills so they can manage those adversities and they could deal with those many challenges, which will happen. Um, the unfortunate thing is we, we can't, you know, necessarily get away from all of those challenges, but we can learn how to manage them. Yeah, I think a lot of time and people say, oh, well, kids are very resilient. We can go through, they can go through so much and change. And, and I think sometimes we have to kind of shake our heads and say, yeah, we may want to wish that. We may want to hope that. Not always the case for kids or adults. Um, Ramya mentioned the social media campaign. Can we jump into that and talk a little bit about what's happening with that? What's going on there? 
Yes, absolutely. So another exciting um, point for us, this is the first time we're launching a social media campaign really to get youth aware of the Zen Garden app and the Resilience Quiz. So youth um, live and breathe on, you know, Instagram and TikTok. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that we were um, in the places that youth were at so they can be informed about this, um, these two new resources. So we're actually partnering with three um, influencers and um, really getting them to help us spread the word about the Zen Garden app and um, the Resilience Quiz. I think that's amazing. When you talk about the power of the influences in, in the sense of making us feel I'm not alone, that's, that's, that's key, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and working with these influencers, I mean, you, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, life is challenging and, and all of us, you know, have stresses and need to, to figure um, out how to manage it. And, and all of our influencers have that personal experience as well. And so it's really great to draw on those, um, their experiences. So when they connect with their audience, um, it can feel, you know, obviously more authentic and right. kids will be willing to listen. I would think so. I mean, you, you hope because so many people need that person and sometimes it's a different voice. It's it's somebody out of their sphere for us just to lock into and, and young people very much so that yeah, I've had everybody else chiding at me, but it takes that one person. How can people access these resources? Well, the great thing is that the resources can be accessed on our website, which is strongmindsstrongkids.org. Okay. So here's the big question. And for you, for organization, what do you really hope kids and parents take take away from this? I, I, obviously, there's probably a different takeaway for each. Well, I think overall um, that they have the ability to cope with the many challenges in life and that we're giving them the tools to help them do that. Um, so all of us have our strengths and we can pull on our strengths. Um, and here's some tools that'll help you build on those strengths and help you have um, those coping skills um, so you can manage those, those challenges in life. I think it's so hard getting people to feel comfortable to just talk. We go back to the influencers. It's one thing to listen and to say, hey, I can reach out for help, it's there. A lot of time it's composing what we think, whether we're an adult or, or, a, or a teenager. Yes, um, absolutely. And, and it's neat. Some of these strategies that you'll, you'll see in the Zen Garden app and also even in the Resilience Quiz, quiz will ask you to do some of that reflection and also right. to look around to others that are, are around you um, to also reflect to see how they may be approaching this. So it's, it's um, absolutely a time for us to build our own resilience, but also to support others in this um, endeavor observations and try not to be afraid of your thoughts and your feelings and, and uh, you know, sort of sort them out as best you can. And it's okay to be confused. Where can we go to learn a little more, Anne? So again, the great thing is there's, there's, in, in addition to the Zen Garden app and the Resilience Quiz on our website, there's a whole host of other information and resources that you can access to help you manage your stress, to help you um, uh, do activities with your, your infants or your kids in fun ways that would nurture their resilience. And it's all found on strongmindsstrongkids.org. Appreciate it, and thank you so much for bringing this up today on the show, and we hope that people will utilize these resources. 
Yes, and again, thank you so much for inviting us today. And, and we do hope that uh, teens and their families um, access these free resources. Agreed. And Lovegrove is the president and executive director of Strong Mind, Strong Kids Psychology Canada, joining us today to talk about the new Zen Garden app and resilience quiz. Folks, we've got another hour of Kelly and Company ahead. A, a quick and fun way to add to your fall look, folks, is a berry limb. Makeup artist Bella Strange shares how. Uh, how many shot glasses is too many shot glasses, folks? Ramya Muthan lets us in on her continuing collection of shot glasses during our collections and hobbies segment. But up next, St. John's community reporter Kim Thistle highlights this year's songs and stories of the land event. We'll talk to her after this. There's nothing like the wonderful smell in the air right before a rainstorm. This is Kelly and Company on AMI-audio. Right, buckle up, folks. Here we go for another hour of Kelly and Company today. Appreciate wherever you're listening in, you being with us, no matter where. We'll get to the where in just a moment. And we uh, checked on the weather forecast, uh, you know, how warm it's going to be uh, this this fall. Don't don't put away your gear at the top of the show. We, we listened a little bit about that. And we may get a different opinion in just a moment about putting away any summer-related gear. Ramya Muthan, she's at the main office as I like to refer to it as main campus in Toronto. Kelly McDonald here at the home studio in London, Ontario. On Mondays and Tuesdays, we welcome in our community reporters. These folks bring to us some stuff going on in their regions, and we get to learn what's happening on their beat, no matter what they're doing, like, you know, holding down, battening down because of wind and rain. Today, we welcome in Kim Thistle. Uh, she joins us with all sorts of news from uh, St. John's, Newfoundland, and Labrador. A little windy and wet out there, Kim? Oh, my gosh. Yes, I just tell him, Matt, that I, my house hasn't floated away. Thank goodness. We have had an excessive amount since Friday. Uh, rain, drizzle, fog, wind, end of a hurricane. We had 20 millimeters of rain just yesterday alone. My gosh, the bridges have, you know, the water has come up in Waterford Bridge Road. There has been damage. The dry dock downtown where they do the repairs on the boats, that had water. Wow. <laughs> so the it's water not such a dry dock that. now. Now. Oh, not at all. And my sump pump has been going nonstop, thank goodness, because in January, my sump pump had broken and I end up with a flood, major damage in my basement. So I tell you, it's, uh, it's uh, been a, it seems to be easing off out there, but we have, we've had the elements for sure. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm still did, standing. <laughs> did you have to get a new sump pump when, when the other didn't work or were they able just I to did. fix it? Oh, yeah, wow. yeah. No, no, it was, um, I didn't realize, right? I didn't, you know, new homeowners, things you need to be mem remembered and check on and whatnot, right. right? So I had gone downstairs in January the 31st, I went the last age, and I stepped to do laundry, and I'm right up over my ankles, and I, oh, oh my Oh, God. my goodness. And, <laughs> and so, clear. <laughs> well, and so lucky that it hadn't got to 
to a hydro, you know, any of the, where you could have really gotten oh. into some trouble. Like it's, it's just, you just think yeah. about that. And yeah. like you say, not realizing, not knowing, and it just, as much as there's damage and everything, at least it, it turned out well. Kim, we want to jump into your yeah. first item, which will hopefully for folks yep. out there, will brighten them up on this rainy and windy uh, time. Songs and stories yeah. of the land. It sounds great. I- I know this. It does, doesn't it? Like, I have to say that we we're getting more activities and more events, and it's getting harder now to pick just three. So this is here in St. John's and mm-hmm. in the capital city, September the 17th at 7.30. And it's um, it's part of the First Light um, group, and it's a nonprofit organization. And um, that I have the website added on to the, the link, and it's um, held at 8. 8- 31 or 81 Coxon Street, which is the first light center for performing arts and creativity. And I love the idea. This is a songwriter's circle that continues. It goes on for five times during the year, from what I read about it. Um, It's to celebrate the diverse perspectives on this place we call home. And this first series is with um, different performers. And Jamie Walk of Silver Wolf Band, and that's an indigenous folk rock band. And then Janelle Duval of Eastern Owl, another indigenous, indigenous band group. And Katie Baggs and Christina Hernandez. So it should be interesting, their perspective coming together and like highlighting the cultural diversity in our arts and communities and in the spirit of friendship. And I said, what a great thing. Like, you know, I think we need that coming together and celebrating and and you know, and its prices are reasonable fifteen dollars to twenty dollars. So what, obviously, um, you will need a sighted guide. Right. right yep. I mean, the, you know, for any of the, you know, for, I'm not familiar. I don't know. I can't give you a layout of how the building is laid out. So for me, I would be, you know, bring a sighted guide with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I like him what you said back that back there about it being a songwriter's circle because you're going to be yeah. privy to some stuff that may disappear. Maybe this person's never used the songs yeah. again, but these are specific to what they're writing about to really give you that feel to close your eyes and imagine. Exactly, and you know, and then I love everyone's different, you know, like folk arts and folk rock, or or you know, maybe their country. Just all different, unique groups coming, you know, people coming together and performing. And I'm not a singer songwriter, but I certainly enjoy music. You're an so appreciator. They, I, Exactly. I'm a appreciator. I cannot hold a tune, but I can appreciate. (laughs) (laughs) I can hold lots of tunes if they're still on the old CDs or records (laughs) or whatever. Anyway, we'll put that up on the blog, ami.ca slash kellyco. Amazing. And then there's more things where people are gathering. This is the first ever damnable trail festival. Is it damnable or damnable? How do you even say that word? Yes. Like damn, like damn, damn, like that trail is, yeah, damnable, like it's bad. So this is the first one, and I thought this looks so interesting. So this is outside St. John's. It's in the Eastport Peninsula, which includes the communities of of any of our listeners in the area, Burnside, Eastport, Happy Adventure, Salvage, Sandringham, Sandy Cove, and St. Chad. Beautiful area. It's about, I'm going to say, don't quote me exactly, two, two and a half hours from St. John. I've spent Sandy Cove a few times for camping with our kids, but I went with my friend this summer, and we hiked part of this trail. And it is a damnable trail. Like, you will need a sighted guide, like my friends would say, you know, to the left, to the right, you know, we're walking over water. But this festival is something unique. It's they're having trail parties. And from what I'm reading mm. up on it, it could be like, and, and they're having a 22-kilometer running. So, you know, that obviously that's, that's going to be intense running. The guided hikes, sunrise yoga, historical walks, 
and then this, well, like I said, 22-kilometer coastal ridge challenge. And even here, like I'm looking through the schedule here, they have several days. It runs from September the 30th to October the 2nd. And they talk about, you know, prepare for a leisurely stroll or strap on your hiking boot. And the museum visit, visit landmarks, taste delicious local food, and meet wonderful people who live here. And you're on your journey, you'll wind your way through town to taking in coastal views, visit the museum, the church, cemeteries, and explore the damnable trails. So it seemed like, you know, this is a great opportunity promoting this area. Mm-hmm. Um, historical displays, local based goods, handmade crafts, musicians. So, I mean, they've got a list. Oh, now this is what I like food. You know, I love food. Fresh baked houghton, cartridge berry and blueberry jam, molasses and syrup. Have you had Towtons? I can't remember if we tried Towtons when you guys were here. I think so. I'm trying to th- remember if we oh, had wow. it at Kitty Vitty, but... No, no, you wouldn't have No, it. Towtons is um, it's a bread dough, and we fry it up. It's really tasty, it's and molasses so is typically what's served with. But see, so this I have is... to get you the next time you come down. Of course, of course. There's always a next time. <laughs> and then this is so cool because um, we don't have to do all 22K, right? That's just for the people who want no, to take the challenge? No. Okay, good. <laughs> that was right. the first thing right, I exactly. thought of. So there's many options. I right. know, I should have explained. Like, they, they do have this for anybody who's a runner or hikers who want to do participate. Because I know my good friend is a, a runner, and she will go to different locations across the province right. to do the running. So this is what they're promoting as the running the 22. But not only that, you can do the other thing. As I say, sighted guides that you'll be going, you know, walk. Some of the trails are flat. So they said there's wheelchair-accessible trails, mm-hmm. which is terrific. Plus, getting into the halls and the museums and, and knowing, you know, someone cited guide letting us know what's happening and going on or what to look at and what's being displayed. So I think it's a great opportunity that the community is promoting itself some more. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that it's um, always, you know, whenever you bring these community reports, every single thing is loved by the locals as much as it is loved by anyone else who's visiting just to get... <laughs> to that event or you know take part in that particular activity because you're saying this is there's so much local love to these trails oh exactly exactly you make new friends and, and like i said my I, I really enjoyed getting out there last the summer i mean yeah. it's a beautiful area and and friendly people everywhere you go well there's tons of details on this one so we'll put that up on the blog as well ami.ca slash so but they do have a big list yeah. yeah, that's going to be amazing. And you know what? Like we just were talking about the whole fact that people seem to really look forward and love these events. Here's one I bet. It's longevity has been their 34th annual, uh, 34th annual uh, exhibition here. This is the agricultural uh, exhibition. And this sounds so much fun. And again, long time holding this. Exactly. They it, now. They, I think it was obviously stopped for several years. I think in the seventies, and then probably not happening during COVID. But they want to recreate like the thirties and forties and bringing it, keep it going. So nice. this is in Eastport Peninsula area as well. So I, I did two things out in that area, and I thought and this is free. See that word free? Oh gee, we like something that. Something to do over. <laughs> and we all want free, don't we? And some, and something to do over the Thanksgiving weekend is, is having, uh, let me see the date, Thursday, October the 6th to Monday, October the 10th. And they have, um, it's one of the major events on Eastport Peninsula, large craft show, local produce for sale, which 
there's nothing better than getting, you know, like picking up your fresh potatoes for Jig's dinner or best hour meal, right? You know what I remember what Jig's dinner is? Oh, yeah. Salt meat, yep. cabbage, mm-hmm. potatoes, everything boiled together, peas pudding, and probably have a turkey or a ham or a roast with it. So this is a, there's nothing better than having, you know, your fresh product. And they said lots to see and do. Once again, sighted guide, I would recommend navigating around the exhibit, the, the center. I couldn't find out where the center would be. And, but it's still, it sounds like a great bit of fun. You're getting the family out and there probably would be live animals there. Typically, you know, when I've done these things here in town with my children, there might be a cows there and, chickens and pigs and whatnot. So yeah, and, and you know what's, it, get out. what's interesting to me, Kim, too, is, you, you know, obviously you guys with weather and everything, you have it earlier than some other parts of the country are saying, oh, that's early. Why don't you have it? You know, but we're October. We're just like the fall fairs here that start <laughs> now, like the exhibition and our one yeah. here in London, Ontario. People are like, oh, these are fall fairs. It's still summer. But you know, again, with our climate and everything like that, and oh. I don't care. It right now through feels like fall. So wonderful to have something like this. Thanks, Kim. We'll put it up on the blog, ami.ca slash Kelly We'll talk to you next month. Yes, take care. Bye-bye. Kim Thistle is our community reporter in St. John's, covering off Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, remember, again, check out the blog, ami.ca slash Kelly for all the information from the report. We're back in a couple of moments, folks. A quick and fun way to add to your fall look is a fairy lip. Makeup artist Bella Strange shares how after this. Well, you know we're not good at secrets, folks. Come on. All right. All right. I just, I, I'm, I'm just got to tell you, AMI-audio can be found on your TV. There, I said it. Novus, channel 889. And Rogers Ignite customers, you guys can find us on channel 146. Visit AMI.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. I know. I know. It's Romeo Muthan and Big Mouth here telling all. Welcome back to Kelly and Company. Kelly McDonald. That's your official name, right? Well, big mouth sometimes. Oh, okay. So newly joining us on the second Tuesday of the month is makeup artist Bella Strange. And she's here to basically give us some uh, accessible makeup tips and tutorials. Last month when we had you on, Bella, we got to know you a little bit and the work that you do and um, why it's important to you, the work that you do. So it's nice to have you back. So much for having me back. I always have so much fun talking to you guys. It's very, very fun. And today we're kind of doing two parts. Uh, we're going to start with a bit of a reminder to keep wearing our sunscreen. This is a good one. Mm-hmm. Yes, because like, especially as we get out of the summer months and we're getting those cooler temperatures at some point, <laughs> yeah. and the- we start to realize like, oh, it's not summer anymore. So I can, you know, skip my sunscreen, which is, not true at all, especially if you're like me, who is on medications that make me susceptible uh, to direct sunlight, you know, being a vampire and whatnot. <laughs> um, 
we have to wear our sunscreen all the time. The sun's not going anywhere. And it's I an old belief, isn't it, Bella? Because I mean, yeah. lots of people would have thought that in the winter, whether they worked outside or stuff, I don't need to worry about the sun. It's a nice, clear, cold, minus 20 degree day. I don't need to worry about any skin protection. And people like myself have always felt, well, with my dark skin tone, I, I don't have to worry about it. The most I get is a bit of dry, you know, peeling skin on my nose. Mm-hmm. And especially like speaking of winter, the snow is basically a mirror. Yeah. It's yeah. going to give you a sunburn, regardless of if you feel like you're ready to go to the beach, you're still going to get a sunburn. <laughs> you get a double shot so, yeah. from it. Yeah. It, sunscreen is so important. Like I said, uh, for anybody, especially if you have maybe some skin um, accessibility needs, say you're on certain infusions or chemotherapy versus medications, or you just want to make sure that you're safe, you know, the sunscreen is so important. And I mean, from a from the perspective of us putting things on our face, right? Is it maybe mm-hmm. a time for you to switch up your sunscreen? Like I'm thinking the way that your skin reacts to colder temperatures versus uh, in the summertime. Right. The drier <laughs> feel of it too. Yes, of course. I mean, you can definitely wear a thicker moisturizer with sunscreen in it. You can get sunscreens that are a little thicker and can kind of keep that moisture in as well as being such a great skin protectant. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing is also that if you're using, there's lots of different types of sunscreen, but you can get an almost glow from within that comes with sunscreen too. So it kind of gives you like that, like double awesomeness. It's like, yes, you're protected by the sunscreen, but also you kind of look you know, ethereal and super glowy and like you just came from a spa. <laughs> because, Everybody wants to look like that. Well, yeah, yes. exactly, right? Um, because the thing I was thinking is, you know, in the summertime we're careful because, especially around water, that same glint that you're talking mm-hmm. about, but also if we're sweating and that kind of thing or wet, you get in the water, you come out, people are more susceptible mm-hmm. to the sun being uh, damp or whatever, but you can still sweat and stuff like that while you're working or outside, even in the cold, but to, but more likely the drier skin. And I think that's, I wondered if that's where people, oh, well, I'm fine because it's not like I'm being, I'm getting wet or there's glinting other than the snow. We There's so many that we mm-hmm. don't think about the damage that the sun or, or glint can do on dry skin. Mm-hmm. And especially what you just brought up about swimming and sweating, you also have to make sure that you're reapplying your sunscreen right. because mm. it lasts about two hours, but then it starts to wear off because like you said, we're sweating, we're moving around. Maybe your skin is a little flaky and it's coming off. So you always want to make sure you check the back of your sunscreen bottles too, because they'll usually give you the best information about when to reapply, what works best on what skin types, you know, just making sure that that sunscreen is specific for you. Right. Awesome. Yeah. And it's it's great that we're talking about the skin care aspect of mm-hmm. um, application because, you know, a lot of times we're covering up with makeup and think, okay, well, does it really matter if my skin is protected by skin uh, sunscreen or not? And especially the reapplication, you know, is that even a thing with um, makeup on our faces? Yeah, that, that's what's so great about finding a spray sunscreen, one that would come kind of like in an aerosol. I know I own quite a few of them from the drugstore. And those are the best, especially if you're wearing makeup, just to spray on top to make sure that you are 
evenly coated nicely mm-hmm. <laughs> to make sure that you're getting that protectant. But a lot of uh, foundations too, you can find foundations with, with an SPF in it, which will help a little, but you should always have an extra layer of sunscreen. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this reminder because, again, as we drift into that time of the year where people just, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to be at the beach. I'm not going to be out in the sun as much. It's not a, it's not a problem. Great reminder. Um, Bella, let's talk a little bit about, as we think about a little bit more, get back into the fall. We might want that different look. Tell us about the berry lip. Mm-hmm. So that is a great way to kind of welcome the autumn season. Now, for me, every day is Halloween, but not everybody has that kind of (laughs) aesthetic. And having a seasonal shade that is a little different from your your usual is a fun way to kind of revive or maybe bring a little more spice into your life. And a berry lip is a perfect shade for this time of year. As it starts to get a little colder, like I said, the leaves are changing. A berry lip is a fantastic way to try something new. And you don't have to go just like full-on strong lipstick. You can always do like a sheer stain or a lip balm with a little bit of tint in it. You know, have fun with it. You don't have to do it all one way or the other. Just have fun. And a berry lip, I find, is always a little more, you know, fun around this time Mm. of year. So it's it's got a, a bit more of a pop if you're not used to or haven't till this point put on any kind of uh, lipstick? Yeah, and I mean, you can try it in on at home. You don't have to go out. There's many times where I'll try out a new lipstick and I'll just be sweeping around in my apartment. Nice. <laughs> but it's fun. It's fun to try something new, see a different side of yourself. Maybe you're really going to love it. Maybe it's something that you're like, oh, I didn't think I could pull this off. But now that I have it on, I I feel so great. Mm -hmm. I feel a whole nother side of myself. And even just like a little lip balm with a sheer tint, especially at drugstores, you can find a lot of these sheer colors, the sheer lipsticks, the lip balms, the lip stains. They're a fun, accessible way to try something new that doesn't seem too extreme. So with the uh, color, right? Like when we're talking berry, mm-hmm. we're talking about a particular uh, color. Um, can you describe mm-hmm. that a little bit or the combo of colors of or the spectrum even? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So berries, wine colors, they're those deep Merlot reddish purple colors. They are um, a cool toned purple going into a red, a burgundy. Um, they're definitely the feelings I get with a berry colored lip is just the feeling of wearing a, a black sweater, um, being able to look out your window and seeing the leaves change, depending on where you live, of course. Right. Um, seeing all the Halloween decorations start to come up, seeing everybody getting on their, their boots and getting on those thicker layers. It, it, kind of reads a comfort but there's also a sort of mysteriousness about it hmm and when you say the mysteriousness, i don't know if that helps it's really <laughs> helpful uh, yeah it, it, i think so to picture that but yeah. w- does it does it give you with that the, with the mysterious i i really like your use of that mm-hmm. word is it is it the shadowiness oh, it of it or what is it like gonna give you that uh, th- is there a bit of a uh, what one would say not tint i'm looking for shadow Mm-hmm. There is definitely a shadow. It, it's bringing a little more uh, depth to your natural lip color. Um, you can mm. always get a 
what we like to call, uh, at least people who wear these kind of lipstick colors, uh, your lips but better kind of feel to it, where it's just enhancing, especially if you're just doing a stain or a lip balm. It's enhancing your natural beauty, just bringing a little bit more edge to, to how you're feeling for that day. Mm. I would like to think like I'm the witch who lives at the end of the road that all the kids go and knock on the door of and then run away screaming. But that's just me personally. But for someone else, that might just mean like it's getting together with friends and having hot food and hot drinks. That could be the feeling you feel with those kind of colors, Um, at least for me. So one of the things you said I find interesting, and maybe I'll I'll probably ask this again down the road. When you are trying something like this and trying to feel it out for yourself, um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how much you yourself with your knowledge say, okay, that's good for me. That works for me. Or do you care as much as it's the feel that you have doing it where a lot of people will rely on, does this look good on me? What do you find? Is that a, I don't want to say problem, but is that almost our weakness versus how do we feel? Look at if you're able to. I mean, obviously, if you can't see, you need to have that mm-hmm. person you trust and rely on. I, I obviously understand that. Mm-hmm. Or you just go by that that feel. Um, what do you find the best way or what would you recommend to people? Because you could sit there and ask opinion after opinion, and everyone has mm-hmm. that preference. How do you just make yourself say, I like or don't like for me? I find number one confidence in the way that you feel and the way that you look is definitely a big part of trying out new makeup. It's to let yourself be okay with, okay, maybe I don't feel the best in this, but I really liked trying something new. So let me try another lipstick that might be in this color family or this uh, texture, glitter, matte, shimmery, Mm. Makeup is so broad. There's so much to it. You can go from looking like you just woke up to, in my opinion, looking like you work at a gothic carnival. So it depends. Like makeup is so broad. It really, at the end of the day, I find that the look in someone's eyes, that glint of, oh, this is something new and fun, or, ooh, I'm really interested in finding out a little bit more and seeing myself whether it be visually or just in the feeling mm-hmm. of trying something new and seeing right. a new side of yourself. I'm so glad that you brought up the texture because even with lip uh, product, there's so much around that, right? Like where you get that glossy feel or mm-hmm. that matte feel or, you know, you put on a little bit of um, lip balm where you could just like smack your lip, like that type of thing. <laughs> yeah. and all of this makes such a difference, at least in my own personal life, when I wear oh, a stain yeah. versus a gloss versus a lip balm and then knowing you know, I love having friends and, and you describe colors to me because <laughs> right. then yes. it, it feels like I know what I'm going for that day or what I want with this outfit. Even if if I can't necessarily see, see it. it, I can feel mm-hmm. it. And it's the same thing with all other kinds of makeup, too, like um, putting on mascara and feeling that weight on your eyelashes mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. Right. Yes. Sensory is such a big deal, you know, the feeling, the smell, the taste even, because especially a lot of lip products nowadays will maybe have a fun taste to it, like cotton candy. I know a brand that does, like, creamsicle flavored (laughs) lipsticks. 
And, it's and true. those can be a big deal too. Even if they're not scented like to to smell like a taste, um, I can mm-hmm. open up a product and know what I'm pulling out based on the scent of that lipstick. Like even if it's not meant to be sweet or whatever. Uh, it's really mm-hmm. fascinating. Or the way that you apply it. Is it a, a brush like with the stains or is it do you apply mm-hmm. it directly onto your lip? Does it have that bit of an angle to it? Um, oh, man, this is so fun. So... <laughs> Right, it, I could go on for hours. Yeah, it's really, like, really nice. Seriously. Um, especially about s- lip glosses that you get your hair stuck in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Those are the days. Um, <laughs> where do you? Just before we go, do you have any kind of mm-hmm. other colors that people would pair this with? Whether it be like an eyeshadow or an outfit or something. Oh yeah, I mean, try out a smoky eye, you know, especially with a berry lip. If you want to live in this nightmare before Christmas sort of universe <laughs> that I live in, a smoky eye, some dramatic lashes to go with this berry stain, or even just the berry lip gloss or lipstick, it can change your whole like aesthetic for the day. Or even trying a really minimal, just a little darker shadow on your eyelid to go with that berry looks beautiful every single time that's awesome well this has been really really fun bella thank you so much i can't wait for you know this is september and we've all already jotted down so many uh halloween references i can't wait till october like the smoky oh, yeah. eye ne- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even next that. month it's gonna be witch cackling you're gonna hear a cauldron <laughs> in the background it's gonna be great <laughs> this is just a warm-up thank you so much you guys are the best. Have a great day. Bella Strange joining us on the second Tuesday of every month for Accessible Makeup Talk. Really cool descriptions. Uh, how many shot glasses are too many shot glasses? Let's see if we can answer that question when oh, a familiar name joins us for Collections and Hobbies. Uh, Ramya Amuthan? Yeah. All right. We'll talk to Ramya Amuthan after this. Remember when you can, listen into the program, but the best way to do it, especially if you've got to be on the move, is on your smart device, put TuneIn Radio or OOTunes, a couple of great apps in which you can listen to the program, you can take us with you, you can even listen to the podcast that way via these apps. Check it out, that's TuneIn Radio and OOTunes. Also, some of you out there may be listening in wherever you are around the world, right from AMI.ca, streaming the show, whatever way works for you, we appreciate you checking out. AMI Audio. Kelly McDonald with my co-host Ramya Muthan. We're here today on Kelly and Company as we are Monday through Fridays. And on our monthly collections segment, we explore the things that people are collecting, uh, the things that kind of are behind the things that you're collecting, such as the story behind it, the sentiment, that thing it means to you. Today we're clicking shot glasses with Ramya. So this is one of those things that came up yesterday as a discussion. I, I, I it's kind of nice, it. right? <laughs> Me too. Um, but then again, <laughs> uh, as I was saying yesterday, when the segment was come, came up, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> uh, we, you kind of we, one of the things that would have dawned on us 
uh, is what made you start collecting shot glasses, but more so when? When did you start doing that, mm-hmm. and how did you decide, hey, this is something I want to do? Yeah, so, I mean, totally not my idea at all. First of all, yes, everywhere you go, you see shot glasses in the souvenir collection, so this yeah. wasn't a far stretch from, home. where do, where could I, what can I start collecting? But anyway, uh, it was actually my brother who... Because I traveled a lot. I travel most in my family, right? right. I, I go around for business and uh, for pleasure. I just love traveling. So in my family, the rest, four out of five of us, pretty much stay in Toronto, uh, sadly. And then, and I leave all the time. So my brothers were um, starting to tell me what to get when I go to places, right? when I travel to different places. And one of my brothers, Amu, he was like, uh, get me a shot glass here or get me a shot glass there. And I think twice he requested it. So then I started bringing home shot glasses for him. And then I started picking up two shot glasses at a time because I was like, one for me, one for him. Because it's not like I was collecting anything particular uh, when I right. went. You, you didn't set out yourself no. for something. You got more. Of, no. So would you get the same one he, he requested or would you find something else? Most of the time, yes. And if there was a uh, better and worse one, a.k.a. you know, I liked one better, then I would take that one and give him whatever. Because... But I'm not just saying that to be mean. It's because sometimes the tactile option is the one that I would prefer, right? Right. Something that would give me a tactile reminder of which shot glass this is, where was I, uh, where did I get it, versus for him, maybe something that was more visually appealing. Where'd you get the first one from? The first shot glass that I got was from Punta Cana, which was technically a family vacation, but when I was picking up the shot glass, nobody else was around. Um, And so that's the one that I remember. It's not my favorite. It's not even one that I can describe because it just looks like a normal shot glass. Yeah, a round one. Uh, Any idea how many you have at the moment? I think at the moment I have about 30. uh, And I say about because I don't have some of them in my possession so at one point my shot glasses were at my mom's house and then they combined with the shot glass collection that my brother had and now we're fighting for custody ah i was just going to say how do you how will you especially when you have one like the first one there that's kind of um nondescript for me yeah how are you going to sort them out that way like does your brother actually hold true more to them so he'll know, no, this is really my, or do you guys both get into, no, I think this one was got for me. Oh, no. Yeah, we, well, obviously, if there's multiples, like two of a kind, yeah, you well, just take that's one of each. easy. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but other ones, it's more, you know, he wanted it and I said I was going to keep it anyways, or um, I forgot that I had given one that looks really nice, so then I'll take it back. And it's kind of like, <laughs> a, kind of like the hoodie collection I have at my house, which is so unofficial. It's all my brother's hoodies, but I just steal them when I can. I like this one. I'll just keep it. I'll just wear it out of the house. So with the shot glasses, do you use them? No, I don't use these shot glasses. I especially don't let company use them. Wow, this feels like a throwback from a Now with Dave Brown conversation a couple of days ago on um, how I treat company when they're at my house. Anyway, so I, I don't love to have them out. Um, I kind of hide them away because it's glassware. So it just... I've always, okay, I had one memory, Kells, where um, when we were graduating high school, we were given these really beautiful glasses, just drinking glasses, right? Yeah. And one was I, a wine I, I glass. I have a think of high school. We're not giving you shot no, glasses. No, but one just was a really nice wine glasses. glass, and it was nice and uh, engraved. Another one was a, a, like a beer mug style thing with a handle, and it got broken. 
Um, somebody dropped it and oh. got, and it broke. So it's always been a trauma point for me. I don't want any of my shot glasses breaking because they are sentimental to me. So I hide them from company. I don't even use them myself. Maybe on an absolute special occasion for some reason. I will <laughs> I will pull them out, but that occasion hasn't happened So do you ever, yet. is there any situation you trust showing them at least? Sure. If I can hold them. Uh, or right. one at a time, yep. right? Like I hand yep. them to you, you hand it back, then you can pick up a second one. It, it sounds so awkward saying this out loud, but really it is because they're they're precious. And anything glass in my house is precious, but especially if it's, you know, gifted or engraved or, you know, sentimental, uh, it goes away and doesn't come out unless I'm looking at them and they're pretty. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's like we talked about the sentiments behind uh, in the intro. These are things that can't be replaced for whatever reason. Yeah. They're important to you, like someone's stamp collection. Like, and, and some people say, look, I don't want your sweaty fingers on them. I'm sorry. <laughs> and people, what, what do you, and, and I'm not necessarily talking glasses, but still they've got to be cleaned. And some people say, look, man, I don't want to clean them more than I have to because I don't want them damaged. I, I want yep. them in 40 years to be able to look at them. Um, Absolutely. That's the reason for it. Where do you find as you're traveling that you get them generally? Is it the last thing you kind of run and get? Do you get it first when you get there? And do you usually get them at the airport or somewhere else? Yeah, majority of the time I'm super boring and just grab them at the airport when I can or, or like as I'm leaving, basically, right? The the last shop to go before uh, getting on an airplane. Right. But sometimes there have been places where I've you know, found them in uh, shops at an alleyway. Like, for example, um, in BC, there's this, uh, in Victoria, there's this alleyway uh, that has all these little tiny shops in Chinatown. And that place was really nice, and I found a shot glass there. So even if it's not necessarily a shot glass that I love, um, if there are special places to find them other than the airport, I will grab them because it, then it reminds me of that place in a different way Mm -hmm. rather than just waiting at the airport but i have found some really cool ones at the airport so i'm not gonna diss so as you're leaving how do you just like how you you know usually when you go to the duty free or wherever Mm -hmm. you're grabbing them you may not necessarily be able to wrap that up carefully how do you they do protect it they They they, they kind of wrap it in tissue but i keep it with me right it's not going into a into the, bag yeah, or yeah, where it could get banged yeah. Um When you, I'm going to ask you about, to give you a heads up on this one, uh, maybe you can describe a couple of them in whatever way, whether you have mm-hmm. the idea of the look of them or the texture, whatever your, you know, some of your favorite ones are the ones that uh, come to mind. But when you are looking at other places where shot glasses may turn up, have you thought of other places where you might, um, and I, I don't know, Find like them. a pawn shop or something like right. that. Have you have you ever thought, gee, I wonder if people take that kind of stuff in there. If I would find used stuff that that I'd be comfortable to use from other people's collection who may be, you know, getting rid of them from a, like an estate sale some, somewhere or, Probably. or yard sale, whatever. Yeah, exactly. And most of this comes from what other people can see, right? Like I'm right. not necessarily going out of my way to say, hey. Maybe I can find a cool shot glass somewhere here. I'm going here. Saturday looking. Exactly. Right. Yeah, Not yeah. at all. It really is circumstance. And then that's the cute part of it for me. When I find something that I love, it's like, oh, this now this I can take this home from this trip, which is really sweet. It's more the trip. It is. It's just it really a memory. Is. It's a trigger of the memory of the nostalgia of the times that you had or who helped you pick this one out. Um, that kind of thing. The other thing is, too. Sometimes I look at just the regular shot glasses and the price on them that I'm paying, and I was like, eight bucks. <laughs> Forget it. And that's just at the airport. So right. imagine if I'm going out looking for these fancy schmancy shot glasses and then having to play, pay 
<laughs> 25 bucks for it or something. What would you pay if the one that you, you came across looked really neat? I don't know what that means because we'll get into ones that you have that you can describe to us in a second. But is is there a, no, I, I wouldn't pay that. I don't care how nice it is. I don't care if it's, a, you know, mm. the headless horseman and it's Halloween. Forget it. If there were some shot glasses that were so unique, the story behind who made them or where they came from were so great, I'd probably pay up to $20. But anything more than that, and especially if there's a less expensive shot glass in the same vicinity, probably not pay oh, any more so you're a little... <coughs> yeah, I know. Oh, sorry, I, 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 I'm telling you, man. <laughs> it's uh, really not that deep. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what's interesting is you value what you will spend you in the, your your watch, but you will value these so that people like oh no no I'd rather yeah. just hold it up you can see well enough from there you know come on you're you're a high partial here look at it from the distance here I'll put it closer uh, describe some okay I have one where um, it was from the East Coast where a lobster is basically crawling out of a um, shot glass. So, nice. like, one edge of the shot glass has this tactile lobster on it. It's it's cute because you can kind of use it as a handle, but it is very, very tactile. And that one is awesome. It's from Halifax. Is it fragile? It's like a, I don't know. No, not the lobster itself. Or like, the... you couldn't knock the lobster off no, it, no, like, no, or no, crack no. it easy. No, he's holding on joins? pretty tight. Okay. <laughs> it's, right. it's pretty good. Cool. I've never actually, like I said, I never actually put um, any liquid in it. So, I'm not sure if it holds an actual shot. Because right. the lobster's taking up a lot of real estate on there. Halifax, okay. Yeah, Halifax. Um, in BC, not my most current trip, but in one trip that I took with a friend. This is our first ever trip. We traveled together. Nobody else. It was just two of us, both of us being low vision. That was a fun trip. And she doesn't even drink, but she got a shot glass with me. Um, this was a bear. So the bear is holding, like he's bear hugging the shot glass. So it's a full tactile bear all around the shot glass and he's you know at scale it looks like he's bear hugging the shot glass airport one too no actually no but it was a gift shop but it wasn't an airport gift shop um then there's another one that's uh basically looks like the mold of a maple leaf oh canadian maple leaf oh nice yeah so the whole thing is built as a 3d maple leaf wow so you're pouring within the middle, middle of the leaf of the maple leaf yeah nice those three are my favorite ones um simply and wh- where'd that one come from do you remember i think montreal okay yeah and that one wasn't the airport either that was um you know old uh what do they call old that montreal yeah old montreal Cobblestone streets Cobblestone and everything. Cobblestone streets, exactly. And it wouldn't have been awful if you walked out, tripped on, oh, <laughs> my shot glass. Don't pre-jinx my shot glass collection. <laughs> Your on. next trip. Uh, um, <laughs> so do you know, and, and again, in old Montreal, somewhere like that, you'll get a lot of that Canada feel. Yeah. But boy, that's really kind of nice. Yeah, I just try to stay away from the, you know, the map of uh, glued onto this shot glass. Or it says Canada, or it says whatever on it. Um, most of those are not fun. Uh, I have another one that's just like a very mini wine glass. But it's a shot glass. Um, really? Yeah. Hmm. It's like a teeny tiny wine glass. Um, what else? Uh, I'd be surprised you'd get that one because I would think you're paying your seven, eight bucks for it and it's small. I know, I know. But it's t- technically a shot glass. So I had you to get it for the collection. On and the one, that, <laughs> the one that wasn't, you know, the typical, typical looking, typical feeling. I also have some ceramic ones. Um, those ones were pretty basic. Like uh, the one I got in Brazil just has the Brazilian flag on it, but right, right. but it's ceramic. So I was like, hey, different tactile experience, right? Things like that. That's really um, 
really interesting what makes one of one motivated to get something like that. I still like the fact that they all mean something. Uh, okay. So with that being said, is there any that have such a deep connection because whether it was given to you by somebody who knows she loves this stuff or or whatever, um, you know, something that, you know, like, like you know, has that personal, mm. real personal meaning to it? No, nah, man, nobody has ever given me a shot glass. I'm not sure what's happening here. No, I'm kidding. It's because I... I, I <laughs> <laughs> so I know what... We've had so many people come on this show to talk about their collections, their hobbies, how uh, deep it can really get and how invested they are. But because it, for me, it's just a reminder and a memory of a trip taken, um, that's what these shot glasses mean to me. And it's not a, a gifted thing. People don't bring me back shot glasses from their trips. Um, it's kind of a diary and archive of where I've been. And before I started getting them for myself, my brother was keeping track of where I've been because of me gifting him shot glasses. So that's the whole collection side of it for me. And um, gifting has never been one of those. And like I said, my family doesn't go out. So if I don't go out and get my own shot glasses from all around the world, then who will? Which one's the most recent? Recent is probably the Montreal one. Because I oh, when really? I for my yeah, for my uh trip to BC, I didn't pick up a shot glass since I already had one there from there. Oh, I did in Victoria. Oh my god, I just lied. Mm-hmm. On air. Just there. Yeah. Yeah, in Victoria um at the the little alley in Chinatown. Right. And before that was Montreal. Okay. Uh, so any envy? Anyone have one that you want? Um, I haven't seen shot glasses that other people have taken or have that I've taken or wanted to take. I don't necessarily have a bucket list of things either, but I would like to get, um, what do you call that? Like a, a metallic? You know how you've once you gifted me a stemless wine glass, which was, you know, not glass. Right. Oh, like okay. A, yeah, the the ones that are um not st- well stainless steel, stainless steel have, or yeah. something like that. I want to find a shot glass like that. Okay. All right. That would be interesting, though. That's cool. Mm-hmm. That's cool that that's an interest. That that's the kind you'd like to get. Um. Cool. Thanks for sharing. I, I'm thinking of other things I want to know, but of course we're out of time yeah, now, yeah. as usual. Uh, <laughs> we'll be back in a moment. We'll see what's coming up on now with Dave Brown. Join us for our collections and hobbies segment once a month, right here on Kelly and Company. Remember when you can, listen into the program, but the best way to do it, especially if you've got to be on the move, is on your smart device, put TuneIn Radio or OOTunes, a couple of great apps in which you can listen to the program, you can take us with you, you can even listen to the podcast that way via these apps. Check it out, that's TuneIn Radio and OOTunes. Also, some of you out there may be listening in wherever you are around the world, right from AMI.ca, streaming the show, whatever way works for you, we appreciate you checking out. AMI Audio. Kelly McDonald with my co-host Ramya Muthan. We're here today on Kelly and Company as we are Monday through Fridays. 
And on our monthly collections segment, we explore the things that people are collecting, uh, the things that kind of are behind the things that you're collecting, such as the story behind it, the sentiment, that thing it means to you. Today, we're clicking shot glasses with Rumya. So this is one of those things that came up yesterday as a discussion. It's kind of nice, right? (laughs) Me too. Um, But then again... Uh, as I was saying, yesterday when the segment was co- came up, one of the things that would have dawned on us uh, is what made you start collecting shot glasses, but more so when? When did you start doing that mm-hmm. and how did you decide, hey, this is something I want to do? Yeah, so, I mean, totally not my idea at all. First of all, yes, everywhere you go, you see shot glasses in the souvenir collection. So this yeah. wasn't a far stretch from where do where could I what can I start collecting but anyway uh it was actually my brother who because I traveled a lot I travel most in my family right I I go around for business and uh for pleasure I just love traveling so in my family the rest four out of five of us pretty much stay in Toronto uh sadly and then and I leave all the time so my brothers were um starting to tell me what to get when I go to places right when I travel to different places and one of my brothers Amu he was like uh get me a shot glass here or get me a shot glass there and I think twice he requested it. So then I started bringing home shot glasses for him. And then I started picking up two shot glasses at a time because I was like, one for me, one for him. Because it's not like I was collecting anything particular uh, when I right. went. You, you didn't set out yourself no. for something. You got more. Of, no. So would you get the same one he, he requested or would you find something else? Most of the time, yes. And if there was a uh, better and worse one, a.k.a. you know, I liked one better, then I would take that one and give him whatever. Because... But I'm not just saying that to be mean. It's because sometimes the tactile option is the one that I would prefer, right? right. Something that would give me a tactile reminder of which shot glass this is, where was I, uh, where did I get it, versus for him, maybe something that was more visually appealing. Where'd you get the first one from? The first shot glass that I got was from Punta Cana, which was technically a family vacation, but when I was picking up the shot glass, nobody else was around. Um, And so that's the one that I remember. It's not my favorite. It's not even one that I can describe because it just looks like a normal shot glass. Yeah, a round one. Uh, Any idea how many you have at the moment? I think at the moment I have about 30. uh, And I say about because I don't have some of them in my possession. So at one point, my shot glasses were at my mom's house, and then they combined with the shot glass collection that my brother had, and now we're fighting for custody. Ah, I was just going to say, how do you, how will you, especially when you have one like the first one there that's kind of um, nondescript. For me, yeah. How are you going to sort them out that way? Does your brother actually hold true more to them so he'll know, no, this is really mine, or do you guys both get into, no, I think this one was got for me. Oh, no. Yeah, we, well, obviously, if there's multiples, like two of a kind, yeah, you well, just take that's one of each. easy. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but other ones, it's more, you know, he wanted it, and I said I was going to keep it anyways, or um, I forgot that I had given one that looks really nice, so then I'll take it back, and it's kind of like, <laughs> a, kind of like the hoodie collection I have at my house, which is so unofficial. It's all my brother's hoodies, but I just steal them when I can. I like this one. I'll just keep it. I'll just wear it out of the house. So with the shot glasses, do you use them? No. 
I don't use these shot glasses. I especially don't let company use them. Wow, this feels like a throwback from a Now With Dave Brown conversation a couple days ago on um, how I treat company when they're at my house. Anyway, so I, I don't love to have them out. Um, I kind of hide them away because it's glassware. So it just, I've always, okay, I had one memory, Kels, where um, when we were graduating high school, we were given these really beautiful glasses just drinking glasses right yeah. and one was I, a wine I, I glass. have a think a high school it we're not giving you shot no, glasses no but one just was a really nice wine glasses. glass and it was nice and uh engraved another one was a, a like a beer mug style thing with a handle and it got broken um somebody dropped it and oh. got and it broke so it's always been a trauma point for me i don't want any of my shot glasses breaking because they are sentimental to me so i hide them from company i don't even use them myself maybe on an absolute special occasion for some reason i will <laughs> i will pull them out but that occasion has So do you ever yet. is there any situation you trust showing them at least Sure if i can hold them uh, or right. one at a time yep. right like i hand yep. them to you you hand it back then you can pick up a second one it, it sounds so awkward saying this out loud, but really it is because they're they're precious and anything glass in my house is precious, but especially if it's, you know, gifted or engraved or, you know, sentimental, uh, it goes away and doesn't come out unless I'm looking at them and they're pretty. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's like we talked about the sentiments behind uh, in the intro. These are things that can't be replaced for whatever reason. Yeah. They're important to you, like someone's stamp collection. Like, and, and some people say, look, I don't want your sweaty fingers on them. I'm sorry. <laughs> and people, what, what do you, and, and I'm not necessarily talking glasses but still they've got to be cleaned and some people say look man I don't want to clean them more than I have to because I don't want them damaged I, I want yep. them in 40 years to be able to look at them um, Absolutely. that's the reason for it do, where do you find as you're traveling that you get them generally is it the last thing you kind of run and get do you get it first when you get there and do you usually get them at the airport or somewhere else yeah majority of the time I'm super boring and just grab them at the airport when I can or, or like as I'm leaving basically right the the last shop to go before uh getting on an airplane right but sometimes there have been places where I've you know found them in uh shops at an alleyway like for example um in BC there's this uh, in Victoria there's this alleyway uh that has all these little tiny shops in Chinatown and that place was really nice and I found a shot glass there so even if it's not necessarily a shot glass that I love um if there are special places to find them other than the airport, I will grab them because it, then it reminds me of that place in a different way mm-hmm. rather than just waiting at the airport. But I have found some really cool ones at the airport, so I'm not going to diss. So as you're leaving, how do you just, like, how, you, you know, usually when you go to the duty-free or wherever mm-hmm. you're grabbing them, you may not necessarily be able to wrap that up carefully. How do you they do, protect they do. it? They, they, they do. They, they kind of okay. wrap it in tissue, but I keep it right. with me, right? It's not going into a... Into the, bag yeah, or yeah, where it could get banged yeah. around. Um, when you, well, I'm going to ask you about, to give you a heads up on this one, uh, maybe you can describe a couple of them in whatever way, whether you have mm-hmm. the idea of the look of them or the texture, whatever your, you know, some of your favorite ones are the ones that uh, come to mind. But when you are looking at other places where shot glasses may turn up, have you thought of other places where you might, um, and I don't, I don't Find like them. a pawn shop or something like right. that. Have you have you ever thought, gee, I wonder if people take that kind of stuff in there. If I would find 
used stuff that that I'd be comfortable to use from other people's collections who may be, you know, getting rid of them from a, like an estate sale some, somewhere or, Probably. or yard sale, whatever. Yeah, exactly. And most of this comes from what other people can see, right? Like I'm right. not necessarily going out of my way to say, hey, maybe I can find a cool shot glass somewhere here. I'm going here. Saturday looking. Exactly. Right. Yeah, not yeah. at all. It really is circumstance. And then that's the cute part of it for me. When I find something that I love, it's like, oh, this now this I can take this home from this trip, which is really sweet. It's more the trip. It is. It's just it really a memory. Is. It's a trigger of the memory of the nostalgia of the times that you had or who helped you pick this one out, um, that kind of thing. The other thing is, too, Sometimes I look at just the regular shot glasses and the price on them that I'm paying, and I was like, eight bucks? Forget it. And that's just at the airport. So right. imagine if I'm going out looking for these fancy schmancy shot glasses and then having to play, pay 25 bucks for it or something. What would you pay if the one that you, you came across looked really neat? I don't know what that means because we'll get into ones that you have that you can describe to us in a second. But is is there a, no, I, I wouldn't pay that. I don't care how nice it is. I don't care if it's, a, you know, mm. the headless horseman and it's Halloween. Forget it. If there were some shot glasses that were so unique, the story behind who made them or where they came from were so great, I'd probably pay up to $20. But anything more than that, and especially if there's a less expensive shot glass in the same vicinity, probably not pay oh, anymore. Oh, so you're that. a little... <coughs> yeah, I oh, know. Sorry, I, I, I'm telling you, man. <laughs> it's uh, really not that deep. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what's interesting is you value what you will spend you in the, your your watch, but you will value these so that people like oh no no I'd rather yeah. just hold it up you can see well enough from there you know come on you're you're a high partial here look at it from the distance here I'll put it closer uh, describe some. Okay, I have one where um, it was from the East Coast where a lobster is basically crawling out of a um, shot glass. So, nice. like, one edge of the shot glass has this tactile lobster on it. It's it's cute because you can kind of use it as a handle, but it's very, very tactile. And that one is awesome. It's from Halifax. Is it fragile? It's like a, I don't know. No, not the lobster itself. Or like, the, you couldn't knock the lobster off no, it, no, like, no, or no, crack no. it easy. No, he's holding on pretty tight. Okay. <laughs> it's, right. it's pretty good. Cool. I've never actually, like I said, I never actually put um, any liquid in it, so I'm not sure if it holds an actual shot. Because right. the lobster's taking up a lot of real estate on there. Halifax, okay. Yeah, Halifax. Um, in BC, not my most current trip, but in one trip that I took with a friend. This is our first ever trip. We traveled together. Nobody else. It was just two of us, both of us being low vision. That was a fun trip. And she doesn't even drink, but she got a shot glass with me. Um, this was a bear. So the bear is holding, like he's bear hugging the shot glass. So it's a full tactile bear all around the shot glass and he's you know at scale it looks like he's bear hugging the shot glass airport one too no actually no but it was a gift shop but it wasn't an airport gift shop um then there's another one that's uh basically looks like the mold of a maple leaf oh canadian maple leaf oh nice yeah so the whole thing is built as a 3d Maple leaf. Wow. So you're pouring within the middle, middle of the leaf. Middle of the maple leaf. Yeah. Nice. Those three are my favorite ones. Um, simply and wh- where'd that one come from? Do you remember? I think Montreal. Okay. Yeah. And that one wasn't the airport either. That was, um, you know, old, uh, what do they call old that? Old Montreal? Yeah. Old Montreal. 
Cobblestone streets Cobblestone and everything. Cobblestone streets, exactly. And wouldn't have been off if you walked out, tripped on it. Ooh, <laughs> my shot glass. Don't pre-jinx my shot glass collection. <laughs> Your on. next trip. Uh, um, <laughs> so do you know, and, and again, in old Montreal, somewhere like that, you'll get a lot of that Canada feel. Yeah. But boy, that's really kind of nice. Yeah, I try to stay away from the, you know, the map of uh, glued onto this shot glass. Or it says Canada, or it says whatever on it. Um, most of those are not fun. Uh, I have another one that's just like a very mini wine glass. But it's a shot glass. Um, really? Yeah. Hmm. It's like a teeny tiny wine glass. Um, what else? Uh, I'd be surprised you'd get that one because I would think you're paying your seven, eight bucks for it and it's small. I know, I know. But it's technically a shot glass. So I had you to get it for the collection. On and the one, that, sure. <laughs> the one that wasn't, you know, the typical, typical looking, typical feeling. I also have some ceramic ones. Um, those ones were pretty basic. Like uh, the one I got in Brazil just has the Brazilian flag on it, but right, right. but it's ceramic. So I was like, hey, different tactile experience, right? Things like that. That's really um really interesting what makes one of one motivated to get something like that. I still like the fact that they all mean something. Uh okay. So with that being said, is there any that have such a deep connection because whether it was given to you by somebody who knows she loves this stuff or or whatever, um, you know, something that, you know, like, like you know, has that personal, mm. real personal meaning to it? No, nah, man, nobody has ever given me a shot glass. I'm not sure what's happening here. No, I'm kidding. It's because I... I, I... <laughs> So I know what we've had so many people come on this show to talk about their collections, their hobbies, how uh, deep it can really get and how invested they are. But because for me, it's just a reminder and a memory of a trip taken. um, That's what these shot glasses mean to me. And it's not a a gifted thing. People don't bring me back shot glasses from their trips. Um, It's kind of a diary and archive of where I've been. And before I started getting them for myself, my brother was keeping track of where I've been because of me gifting him shot glasses. So that's the whole collection side of it for me. And um, gifting has never been one of those. And like I said, my family doesn't go out. So if I don't go out and get my own shot glasses from all around the world, then who will? Which one's the most recent? Recent is probably the Montreal one. Because I oh, when really? I for my yeah for my uh, trip to BC I didn't pick up a shot glass since I already had one there from there oh I did in Victoria oh my God I just lied mm-hmm. on air just there yeah yeah uh, in Victoria um, at the the little alley in Chinatown right and before that was Montreal okay uh, so any envy anyone have one that you want um I haven't seen shot glasses that other people have taken or have that I've taken or wanted to take i don't necessarily have a bucket list of things either but i would like to get um what do you call that like a a metallic you know how you've once you gifted me a stemless wine glass which was you know not glass right oh okay yeah the the ones that are um not well stainless steel stainless steel or something like that i want to find a shot glass like that okay all right. That would be interesting, though. That's cool. Mm-hmm. That's cool that that's an interest, that that's the kind you'd like to get. Um, cool. Thanks for sharing. I, I'm thinking of other things I want to know, but, of course, we're out of time yeah, now, yeah. as usual. Uh, <laughs> we'll be back in a moment. We'll see what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown. Join us for our Collections and Hobbies segment once a month right here on Kelly & Company.
on Monday's show, we were talking about the fact of how we're finding that construction crews, especially doing road work or anywhere as you come along a sidewalk, you may have to divert, how attentive they've become when it comes to stopping, being aware that, oh, a person who is disabled might need some help getting through this tight area if they're in a wheelchair or a blind person might need assistance with some directions or maybe even guiding. Now, I've had them when I've stopped offer an elbow. Obviously, somebody has taught them about guiding technique or they've observed, but it it has increased. I think it's even wonderful, as we pointed out on the show, if they're just aware that person can't hear over my drill, I better shut it down. Or as I'm moving around, they know that person may not see me backing up. So we have the equipment with, of course, our, our beepers, which are standard. But there's just so many things that at times it, they're really attentive to. Now, I know it doesn't feel like it because I've been on sites wondering, do they see me? And the anxiety has just gone through the ceiling wondering, oh, my gosh, I hope I'm standing somewhere okay. You know, I've, I've reached out, touched uh, fencing you know, anything that I can kind of step beside or behind. So at least I sort of feel like I've got some cover, which really I have no idea which way they might even be coming from. I think still the area that's tough is the uneven. Maybe you got a wood slope to go down. Maybe you step off a curb or there is no curb. So that's where it can get a little frightening or you trip over a low concrete barrier. So some of that stuff we still need to do work on, but I know we have to take every inch we can as education happens and people respond to that and put it into play. But like Kim Kilpatrick was saying with us, it is nice and it's so comforting. Let's face it, those construction zones, it's dangerous and any, for anybody and any little thing that can be done to help level it out a little bit or make any pedestrian feel more comfortable is just a win-win. Fedora's off to you guys. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.